So uh, this week we dig into another promise. Promise from the book of First Thessalonians that the gospel has power to change lives. And if you're asking, what was the gospel and what kind of change and how does this power work? Good. Those are the questions we want to answer today. But that's our starting place. We're in the middle of a tour of a few books of the New Testament. So each week, trying to ask the question, why, did, why is it good that God gave us this part of his word? And today we're asking that question about uh, a letter called First Thessalonians. It's, the name comes from a city that is in modern-day Greece. The book of Acts describes three uh, missionary tours that the Apostle Paul took. And on the second one of those, she covered this territory here, he went through... Uh, what today is called Greece, it was then called Macedonia, to this town, Thessalonica. Today it's called Thessaloniki. Um, And he he started a network of churches. He's writing to that group of churches recently established in this area, Thessalonica. It's sitting on a big body of water here and a river, and it was kind of considered uh, a very strategic city. If you wanted to reach all of the Roman province of Macedonia, that's where you started. And so that's part of Paul's vision, is to reach areas that today would uh, be called by different names. So you're going to hear the scripture read in a moment, and Paul's going to mention Macedonia and Achaia. We don't use those words to, to talk about those same areas today. Here's a modern map of Greece. Thessalonica sits here, Thessaloniki, on a modern map. And uh, so the areas that Paul is talking about when he says Achaia, that would be down here, southern Greece. When he talks about Macedonia, he's talking about this big area that includes the gospel spreading in the first century to people groups that today we know as Albanians and Macedonians and Bulgarians. There's Kosovo and Serbia. So lots of uh, areas that we would consider Eastern Europe being reached with this good news about Jesus in the first century. But it wasn't all good news. Uh, when Paul was there in Thessalonica, persecution arose. Uh, the believers there said, we think it would be best if you leave town. So he did, but the persecution continued And so here's a man, pastor, concerned for a group of Christians who are deeply discouraged. They live in a city of about 50,000 people. Uh, Archaeologists have discovered evidence of at least 20 different gods and goddesses that were worshipped in this city of around 50,000. And so here's the Apostle Paul sitting in another town, hearing about the new Christians in Thessalonica who are saying, this is what we're hearing from people in our city. They're telling us our God is a fake. They're telling us our leaders are frauds. They're saying to us, we're going to ridicule you and pressure you and threaten you 
until you wake up and see that this Jesus just isn't worth it. Deeply discouraged people. I'd say for us today, discouragement like this can come from a couple of different places. One is exhaustion, like the believers in Thessalonica, just worn out when sometimes following Jesus feels like a long, hard, uphill battle. And, and every, everyone around us is saying, hey, the powers around you are the real gods, and your God is a fiction. And it's hard to keep believing and trusting in him in the face of that. And sometimes it feels like it costs too much to believe it. The more I trust Jesus, the more friction it causes between me and the culture around me. The more hostility it draws toward me. It's just not worth it. Discouragement can come from that sense of exhaustion. It can also come from a place of cynicism. Of kind of looking at your life as a Christian and saying, you know what? Christianity doesn't make my life any harder. Because Christianity really doesn't impact my life at all. It's kind of just lip service. I would love to grow and change. I just don't think real change is possible. So whether we're exhausted or just kind of cynical, the discouragement sets in. This little letter we call 1 Thessalonians was written because God wants to give tired, discouraged people strength. Strength for real change and encouragement that real change is possible. So no matter how you got there, if you're in that place of discouragement today, this is God's gift to us. Let's listen as we hear the opening verses of First Thessalonians read. Donna, thank you. So the scripture reading is from 1 Thessalonians 1, 1 through 10. Paul, Silas, and Timothy, to the church of the Thessalonians and God the Father and the Lord Jesus Christ, grace and peace to you. We always thank God for all of you, mentioning you in our prayers. We continually remember before our God and Father your work produced by faith your labor prompted by love, and your endurance inspired by hope in our Lord Jesus Christ. For we know, brothers loved by God, that he has chosen you, because our gospel came to you not simply with words, but also with power, with the Holy Spirit and deep conviction. You know how we lived among you for your sake. You became imitators of us and of the Lord. In spite of severe suffering, you welcomed the message with the joy given by the Holy Spirit. And so you became a model to all the believers in Macedonia and Achaia. The Lord's message rang out from you, not only in Macedonia and Achaia. Your faith in God has become known everywhere. Therefore... We do not need to say anything about it, 
for they themselves report what kind of reception you gave us. They tell how you turn to God from idols to serve the living and true God and to wait for his son from heaven, whom he raised from the dead, Jesus, who rescues us from the coming wrath. Thanks. The word of the Lord. <laughs> Thanks be to God. Let's take a moment and pray together. Lord Jesus, open our ears and through your Holy Spirit, create a channel that goes straight from our ears to our hearts so that all that we hear from you today would deeply change us. There is no person in this room who doesn't need to be changed in fundamental ways. And so we ask that you would begin that process, continue that process, do it. Through your grace, mercy, and power, we pray. Amen. So, to a group of really discouraged, tired people, the Apostle Paul says, gospel has real power to change lives. Let's unpack that truth. Let's say, first of all, what, what is the gospel? Well, Paul writes these words. Paul, along with his partners Silas and Timothy, describes the gospel in verse 8 of the text that Donna read for us as the Lord's message. It is a message about the Lord Jesus. It's also a message sent out by the Lord Jesus. Uh, later in chapter 2, we read about apostles of Christ. Paul describes himself as an apostle of Christ. So the gospel is a message about Jesus, and it's a message that Jesus sent out spokesmen to proclaim. How would we summarize that message? Well, there are many different ways. Let's work with this one for today. The gospel is this. It is the true story of what God has done through his son to restore life, love, and peace to our world. It's a true story. It is a story about real events, about things that a divine person did in our world, in our time and space. The gospel is a story about God the Father sending his Son. The gospel is a story about God the Son coming into our world, taking on our flesh and blood. The gospel is a story about what God has done through his Son. Real events, a true story. What were those events? Well, too many to name. Right? The Gospel of John says if we wrote, tried to write down everything Jesus did, there wouldn't be enough books in the world to hold it all. But when the New Testament summarizes the things that Jesus did to reestablish life and love and peace in our world, it typically talks about two highlights, his death and his resurrection. You see those reflected in the text we read this morning. Right? We are waiting for his son Jesus from heaven, whom he raised from the dead. 
Here's the resurrection of Jesus. A true story about real events in our time and space. A real resurrection of a crucified Savior. And that's the second highlight event, crucifixion and resurrection. Verse 10 says, Jesus rescues us from the coming wrath. What did Jesus do that rescues us from coming wrath? He put himself between us and the wrath of his Father against our failures. When did he do that? Where did he do that? In his crucifixion, he was receiving more than simply brutal mistreatment at the hands of human beings. He was absorbing God's curse against our failure to reflect who God really is. We were created to be image bearers of the true and living God, not idols. And we project the image of a God who doesn't exist, a God who's careless toward people. That's what we're like. That's not what he's like. A God who's careless with truth about himself. Well, it doesn't really matter what God you worship. Any old God will do. That's not true. So his displeasure at our failure to bear his image is absorbed by Jesus as he takes the curse from us and for us through his crucifixion. The gospel is a true story about these real events, the death of Jesus, the resurrection of Jesus that happened in our world. It's a story of power. It's a story that has capacity to change the world. It has power in the lives of the people who preach it. Paul says, when we came to you, we came not simply with words. Verse 5, our gospel came to you not simply with words, but also with power, with the Holy Spirit, and with deep conviction. You know how we lived among you for your sake. Paul is saying this gospel story about what Jesus has done has power to change the life of the person preaching it. To shape so that we're not just mouthing out empty words but talking about things that we are deeply convinced are true. Deeply convinced that we ourselves need them. This gospel has power to change the preacher. It has power to change the hearers. Right? Our gospel came to you, these discouraged and tired people in Thessalonica. You didn't receive it as empty words, Paul and Silas and Timothy are saying. You received it with power and with the Holy Spirit and deep conviction, and you became imitators of of us and the Lord, so that even though you were suffering severely, you continued to welcome this gospel message with joy, the joy given by the Holy Spirit. And then Paul says, you became a model to all the believers in Achaia and Macedonia. You hear that? This gospel is a true story. It's a powerful story. It's a story about power that can change lives. And the lives of these people in Thessalonica were changed so much that people that today we'd say lived in Greece and Kosovo and Albania and Bulgaria heard about it 
and wanted to live that way too. Not too long after I got to N-Town, a young man uh, moved here to Atlanta. He was part of our intro to N-Town lunch on one Sunday. And uh, his name, Ernest Chen, for those of you who knew Ernest, said, Ernest, what brings you to N-Town? Well, I got a job in Atlanta. And yeah, but there are a lot of churches in Atlanta. Why are you at this church in particular? It's like, oh, my pastor recommended it. Pastor in San Diego. How'd your pastor find out about our church? Oh, he learned about it from people in Japan. (laughs) We haven't changed and grown in all the ways we need to. Jesus has more growth and change in mind for us at Intel. But you need to know that there are people in other nations who are deeply encouraged at what Jesus is doing through his gospel here in your life. This gospel has power to change preachers and hearers and nations. The gospel is a true story. It's a story of power and it's a story of grace. Right? The gospel is a true story of what God has done. The gospel starts with God doing, God acting, God rescuing, God giving, God sacrificing, God pursuing. Listen to how Paul talks about that reality in verse 4. We know, brothers, loved by God, that he has chosen you. The gospel is a story about God loving us first. 1 John chapter 4, verse 19 says it very quickly, right? We love because he first loved us. The gospel's a story like that. It has power to change us because it's a story about God loving us first. Now, some of you are going to say, hmm, he has chosen you. That's Presbyterian language. I'm in a Presbyterian church. I'm about to hear about predestination. You're about to hear about about the power to transform the lives of discouraged people. Put yourself in Thessalonica, a city of 50,000, altars and shrines and temples to 20 different gods and goddesses all around you. And you're being told every day, your God is a fake. And following him in our culture is just not worth it. And we will keep pressuring you and persecuting you and ridiculing you until you come to your senses and wake up. And in the midst of all that rejection, God says to you, I choose you. When Scripture talks about God choosing people, it isn't so that Baptists and Presbyterians can have fights about who's right. When Scripture talks about this, it's always talking to people who are experiencing great rejection. And God is saying, yeah, let them reject all they want. I choose you. 
this gospel story is a story of grace. And if you begin to doubt whether I set my love on you, you tell the story again. I sent my son to the cross and raised him from the dead for you. What kind of power does it give us to know that when everyone is against us, our God has chosen us and set his love on us? One of our partners, global partners, is a young man named Matthew Terrell. Some of you know Matt. He's a campus minister with Reformed University Fellowship in New York City. And Matt... uh, told us last year in an update letter that he'd had a conversation with a young man who was studying architecture, constantly having to design and create and submit those designs and creations to supervisors and professors. And he was telling about this one professor and said, I just live or die with what this person says about my work. And he was talking about how excruciating and agonizing it is to to live kind of always on pins and needles, submitting something and hoping that someone else won't reject it and hoping that they will love it and choose it, but never quite certain. And Matt was able to talk about this gospel story and say how great it is to know that when we come to God and submit to him our work, which is our whole life, He will say he loves it because he loves what Jesus has done for us. We don't have to wonder if he's going to reject us. We don't have to wonder if he's going to choose us and love us because he's already spoken. What freedom that gives us. And it's not just spiritual freedom. It changes the way you do your work if you're an architect. Hey, I'm free to do my best And not really worry about whether other people choose or reject. Whether the project succeeds or fails. Because I've already been chosen by the one who matters most. How do I know I've been chosen by him? How would I know? Well, do you believe the gospel? Have you embraced this story about Jesus and received it as not simply words, but with deep conviction? If you believe the gospel, the Apostle Paul says, we know that he has chosen you because our gospel came to you with power. We don't know that God has chosen someone because he gave us this secret scroll with the names of the elect on it. We see the evidence as it pours out of our lives. The gospel has real power to change lives. Okay, fair enough. What kind of change? If this gospel is working in our hearts and lives, this story about Jesus and what he's done for us is changing us, what kind of change will it produce? I hope this doesn't sound too boring. You've heard this before, faith, hope, and love. Now, in 1 Corinthians 13, you hear them in a different order. But listen to the same realities here. 
we continually remember before our God and Father your work produced by faith, your labor prompted by love, and your endurance inspired by hope in our Lord Jesus Christ. The gospel is at work among you. And we see what it's doing. It's changing you. It's giving you faith. It's giving you love. It's giving you hope. And those are producing fruit. Right? Let's talk a little bit more about those fruits. So already what we're doing is ruling out a version of the gospel that lands with no power. If someone says, I believe the gospel about Jesus, but I don't want faith, hope, and love in my life, then we would say, you haven't heard the gospel yet. You've heard words without the power. Because when that truth about Jesus gets a hold of you, this is what starts pouring out. Work and labor and endurance are the fruits of this gospel power changing our lives. Well, I was hoping we could talk a little bit more about this. Let's do it without the slide. Sometimes I forget what I've planned, right? What's this work Paul is talking about? Well, he's talking about effort that makes an impact. That's what work is, right? If you have faith in Jesus, then it will produce in your life the willingness to make effort that has an impact on the world. Because you love Jesus, you will be ready to do work, to to do things that have an impact on the world, that cause life and Love and peace to abound. The gospel is this true story of what God has done through his son Jesus to restore our world to life and love and peace. So people who are being changed by this gospel start to say, I would like to see more life and love and peace in our world. Spiritually, physically, financially, Socially, culturally. I want to see everything changed in a way that more life and love and peace start to overflow and abound. And in order for that to happen, I can't just sit here and hope it happens. I'm ready to work to make it happen. It's a natural part of the gospel changing us. Love, Paul says... We give thanks for your labor prompted by love. Labor is a more intense word than work, isn't it? Uh, Labor has to do with doing hard things that come at a high cost. Hey, I'm always ready to work, but sometimes I'm going to have to labor. Sometimes sometimes believing this gospel and loving this Jesus is going to lead me to want to do things that are very costly. Things that require sacrifice on my part. Things that come at a high cost to me. And the Apostle Paul says, Hey guys, you've only been Christians for a few months there in Thessalonica. 
but already I see that, that this truth about Jesus has transformed you in such a way that you are willing to pay a high cost. So I know that this gospel isn't just empty words among you. I know that you have embraced God's love for you at a very deep level because I see, I see this pouring out of you, endurance, staying joyful despite long stretches of serious difficulty. That's endurance. Got a prayer request that came in to our church staff, not from a worship service uh, written down on one of our connection cards, but it, it came through an email. A person who was going through great difficulty and discouragement. And she said this as part of her letter, her email. I believe with all my heart that God is good. My eyes are on Him. And my heart, heavy and broken, rests on Him. Do you hear that? That's the kind of change that this gospel has the power to produce in our lives. Endurance. The ability to hold on to joy even in long periods of serious challenge. My heart, heavy and broken, rests on him. This gospel doesn't cause us to pretend that the heaviness and brokenheartedness is gone. Right? The gospel is a story about crucifixion and resurrection. So we can speak about crucifixion realities. Yes, my heart is heavy and broken. And we can talk about resurrection joy. Yes, I am still at rest. And I know that on the other side of all the brokenness and heaviness is perfect life and freedom. And so I rest even while I wait. I wait for my Lord to return and to heal what's broken. The gospel has power to change our lives. How? Is it magic? I said gospel, therefore you got instantaneously changed. Right? Isn't that how this works? All the change will be undone when you walk out the room, and so we have to do it again next week, and that's why we do this every week. <laughs> it's not how it works at all, is it? You know better. How does this power work? The Holy Spirit uses the gospel story to draw joy out of us. Now, there's mystery here. We know there is because Jesus said so in John chapter 3, verse 8. He compared the Holy Spirit's work to the wind. Really powerful, but very unpredictable. So the person who says, I can tell you exactly how the Holy Spirit works, not listening to Jesus, right? But I can tell you this much about how the Holy Spirit works because Jesus sent out apostles to tell us truth about him. 
And one of those apostles says this about the Holy Spirit. Verse 5 of our text. The Holy Spirit was at work when our gospel came to you. If the gospel comes with power and isn't just empty words, it's because the Holy Spirit delights to use the gospel story to draw us to embrace God's love. The Apostle Paul says this about the Holy Spirit as well. Verse, uh, let me find it. There it is. Verse 6, you welcomed the message. What message? The gospel message. You welcomed this story about what God has done through Jesus. You welcomed the message with the joy given by the Holy Spirit. The Holy Spirit loves to use this true story about Jesus to work change in us. And some people will say, what's the big deal about getting together for worship every Sunday? I mean, isn't it okay if we don't do this sometimes? Isn't it okay if... Oh, main, the main deal is we need a time to take up the offerings. So this is mainly about money, right? No, this is about power. We, we believe from what God has said to us in His Word that there will be more faith and love and hope in our lives this week because we got together and we sang the gospel story to each other. And we prayed the gospel story with each other. And we ate the gospel story with each other. And we told the gospel story to each other. And that's why we do this every week. Because we believe that the Holy Spirit delights to use the gospel story to change us. Here's a little more unpacking of how that might happen. Faith leads us to work. Love leads us to labor. Hope leads us to endurance. But where do faith, love, and hope come from? Faith is just confidence in what God has done through Jesus. So the willingness to work, to have an impact on the world, comes from having greater confidence in the gospel. So let's tell that story to each other as many times as we can. Because the Holy Spirit delights to use it. And He will use that increasing confidence in what God has done through Jesus to make us more willing to do work that has an impact on His world. What about love? Where does love come from? That gospel story about Jesus' loving self-sacrifice in the crucifixion leads to labor. Why would I be ready to do hard work that comes at a high... Oh, oh, because Jesus did something really hard that came at a high cost to himself out of love for me. That's where love comes from. And that's what makes me ready to labor. What about hope? Endurance comes from hope. 
our hope is, is joy and the resurrection power of Jesus. That one day he will return and he will invite us into that resurrection power. And we are waiting for that. And so there is pure joy on the other side of all the brokenness and heaviness that we're experiencing right now. And that's where our endurance comes from. The Holy Spirit uses the gospel to paint a picture of how the Father loves us and what the Son has done for us. The Spirit paints that picture and it changes us. This is one of my favorite pictures in the whole world. Now, some of you are just nerds and you want to know, who's that painting of? Russian ballerina, I'll tell you later, okay? Painted by an Irish painter, but that's really not the point of this photograph, is it? (laughs) What do you see there? You see joy. You see a little girl who can't stop herself from dancing because she's so captured by the dancing that's been painted for her. She wants her body to do what the body in the painting is doing. And nobody had to tell her to do it. Right? That's how the Holy Spirit changes us. He paints a picture of the Father and the Son through this story story that says I love you I don't care who's rejecting you I've chosen you I love you so much that I sent my son to bear the curse for you and I sent him as the firstborn into resurrection life to pave the way so that you can go there too. When he returns, you will share with him all of that joy and none of the wrath. And the Holy Spirit is shouting and saying, Yes, Father, tell the story more. Because that will make them dance with joy. And sometimes the dancing will be hard and costly. But they will dance. And no one can stop them. And the nations will be changed. Because this gospel story has power. Yes, Father, tell it. Yes, Jesus, live it. Make it happen. And the Holy Spirit is saying to us, you stand wherever you have to stand this week to hear that story. Do you need to stand in a small group? Eight, ten, twelve people praying and reading the scriptures together. There are community groups that in town like that. Stand there. You might be saying, I need to stand in a smaller group. 8, 10, 12, too big for me. 2 or 3. You know what? We don't have community groups that small. Go do that instead. Our goal is not to get you doing our stuff. 
Our goal is that. It's to see the Holy Spirit painting the beauty of the gospel and you standing wherever you have to stand to see it and hear it and dance in the joy of it. And if some of the things that we're doing as a church do that for you, then let's do it together. And if you need to stand somewhere else, you go stand there. I'd rather see the nations change for Jesus than to see you become a member of this church. If you can't dance like that here, you go where you can. This gospel is not about our success, our failure. This gospel is about what the Holy Spirit is doing to create change in our hearts in our lives, among the nations, because of the goodness of our Father's love for us and sending His Son. Let's dance together. Let me pray for us as we come to the Lord's table. Holy Spirit, keep painting. You've been painting through song and prayer. You've been painting through the scriptures. And now Jesus says that you will paint one more time. You'll pick up a new brush and you will show us the truth of the gospel in a new way. And so we give you thanks for this sacrament, for bread, and for wine. We give you thanks for the realities that they point to, the broken body of Jesus the blood of Jesus shed in the crucifixion, love for us to protect us from wrath, to receive in himself what we deserved so that we would receive resurrection joy forever. We give you thanks for these gifts and ask that you would work powerfully. Amen.